as I mentioned, even uh, two weeks ago, I was on a completely different topic, still in the book of Galatians. And so now you're beginning to discover there is so much, I know you already knew this, but there's so much in the book of Galatians, one of the most profound of all the Pauline epistles. All of them have their own distinct uh, degree of uh, profound doctrine and, and deliverance by all means, and they all minister to us today in many different ways, different seasons of our life, different situations in our life. But the book of Galatians, not only it, it, it does you know, scale the, the lofty theological uh, topics, but also it, it, just, it just walks upon man, you know, among men, if you will. It just walks the basics of life and just says, look, do these things and it'll help you tremendously. I don't know about you, but many times it's the basics that'll keep you going. So, you know, if you just keep applying and reapplying those basics, you'll eventually scale the lofty heights of life, right? But it all starts, it begins, and it continues with the basics. And not that this is a basic thing, but it is one of, one of those items that we need to kind of reiterate from time to time to let us know, let's just go back to this. If we go back to this, rehearse it again, and not that I've taught on this specifically, but I've, I've woven it in over the decades. And to me, it, it just really bears this, this laser-like focus on not fainting. Now, there again, last week, don't lose heart, the book of Galatians. Keeping in mind, when Paul is uh, dealing with that church, it was a church in, um, in an area that was one of, basically, you, you could call it one of the bread baskets of the ancient world. It was an agrarian society overall. There were some cities in the region of the greater Galatia Minor, which falls into the geographical location of parts of Asia Minor. And then, uh, there again, it was steep primarily in agriculture. There were some learning centers in some of their smaller cities uh, as compared to smaller cities as compared to uh, uh, Corinth and Ephesus and, and, of course, Athens and even Rome, needless to say. But um, they, were, they, were a, they were more of a salt-of-the-earth kind of people, if you will. It wasn't that they didn't have the intellect whatsoever of some of the intelligentsias of Corinth and Athens that Paul wrote to, but it was that these individuals, uh, they were the kind of people that you couldn't pull anything over on them because they'd already seen it all, and they had this kind of homespun wisdom that stayed the course in their life, and many of them had done very well in life. So many of them were still very affluent, uh, very respected in their given communities, but Paul begins to deal with them, and, he, and he, if you notice this, especially here what we're about to read, he uses purposefully this agrarian principle. You know, earlier, I mean, last week when we read this, that be not deceived that God is not mocked for whatsoever a man, whatsoever person sows, that shall he also reap. And we keep this in mind, that's not just for a Christian, that's for anyone. You know, even, even if they, you know, even an atheist, whatever an atheist sows, they're going to reap. They may say there is no God. They may even try to make themselves believe that there is no God. But whatever they sow, they're going to reap. It is a universal principle. God set it in motion all the way back in the book of Genesis. He reiterated it after the flood of Noah. And you see it all throughout the Old Testament, all throughout the New Testament. As a matter of fact, God is very serious about people understanding sowing and reaping. Every, our life is one big conglomeration, in a good sense of the word, a conglomeration of reciprocity, meaning of sowing and reaping. Everything you've received in your life, it's because you sowed it, be it good or bad. You sow love, you reap love. You sow kindness, you reap kindness. You sow mercy, you reap mercy. And I'm trailing off a little bit, but this bears repeating. Um, one of the reasons why Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. The only way you can obtain mercy from God and from people is that you better have sown mercy. And I don't know about you, but don't ever think that you won't need mercy down the road. So make sure that you're sowing mercy to people who need mercy because I will promise you, as sure as I'm standing here and as sure as this is Sunday morning, right here, right now, you're going to need some mercy down the road. Tell somebody you're going to need some mercy down the road. Believe me, you will need some mercy. Great or small, you'll need it. So, bottom line, 
You are a divine composite of the law of reciprocity. You, you have achieved and received things in your life because you sowed them. People didn't reach a certain status in their life, be it economically, be it scholastically, in any vocationally, you, they did not reach that by accident. They sowed into that. They sowed hours, countless hours, sacrifice to get to where they are at. And, and because they sowed into achieving something in life, they reaped the dividends of it. There's no such thing as an overnight success. You are looking at a 36-plus year, year overnight success. Now, I'm older than 36 years. I know, you wouldn't, I know it's hard for you to believe. But, but uh, did you just laugh, Kevin? But anyway, <laughs> we're close friends. I can mess with But anyway, uh, I mean, it, you know, when you really understand someone's backstory, it took them decades to get to where they're at in life. You know, so don't ever get jealous of someone who's doing well in life because believe me, they didn't start out that way unless they were a trust fund baby. But anyway, and usually it goes the opposite. They start out great and at the end, but anyway, another story, another topic, let's say on this. So anyway, whatever you sow, you're going to reap. So there's a reason why God moved upon Paul to talk about these agrarian principles, sowing and reaping, planting and seeing the harvest come. So then he begins to say this because they understand this principle. There again, this large agricultural area, they understand this good and well. Let's just drop down into uh, verse 9. So let us not be wearing well-doing for in due season. See, all that, they all knew what a due season was. They all knew that a due season is inevitable when you sow the seed. Now, I'm not, I'm not planning on teaching on, on giving and receiving and, and, you know, and, and, of course, sowing and reaping from a financial perspective, but it's real easy to do that, but I, I want to stay on this track here. But this falls under that category, as you well know. Um, but anytime you sow a given seed, your life is a seed. You sow your life into the betterment of other people. There is a due season that's coming back to you. You could just look there again at the natural agricultural perspective. When you sow seed in the ground, and, I, and my uh, paternal grandfather... Even my maternal grandfather, just on a smaller scale, but my paternal grandfather, he had a ranch and, and he would sow seed for his cattle and for his sheep. And in due time, those crops would come up. And of course, a portion of them, they would cut, cut that, which became hay, which they, of course, fed the cows in the winter and the sheep. They, and they would raise oats and different things in order, because they were a self-sustainable ranch slash farm long before anyone used the term self-sustainable. Anyway, uh, it, so long before it was in vogue, they were doing it. But anyway, so then I, I remember from the time I was a child growing up in California, well, well, I actually grew up here, but before I moved here when I was six, my uh, maternal grandfather, he always had a huge vegetable garden. They always had, always kind of lived outside of town there in Sacramento and always had a, a real large lot and 90% of it was in vegetables. And he grew a vegetable garden year-round because he knew what would grow even that climate. He knew what you could raise in the wintertime and especially, of course, in the springtime and summer. So he had these vegetables all the time. And it was, you know, I, I thought everyone did that when I was a kid. And any time I went into my, my grandma's house in her kitchen, she was either canning or she, was, you know, she had recently just washed the given fruit and it would be setting on tea towels. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Tea towels and uh, old school term there. And setting, setting all over the tables and all on top of the countertops and, 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 and even in the, in, in the family room on the coffee table. You know, so, so all, all these fruits and vegetables were, were being procured because they knew that, listen, we, we, we put some sweat into this. We want to reap the benefits now. But anyway, so I, I just kind of grew up in that small scale, if you will, agrarian principle. And it's just a given thing. Whatever you sow, you're going to see some fruit come up. A due season has to occur. This is going to be a strong statement. It might offend some people. Not you, because you guys are well-versed in the Bible, and you've been in this ministry for quite a while. But those who might be out there listening to this. So the, the statement is should be strong, but then I will expand upon its understanding. And it says this. Simple as this. 
if the due season doesn't come, that means God doesn't exist. If the due season doesn't come, it's because God doesn't exist. Now, let me interject. There are some variables. People sow, but they don't take care of the stuff, right? Be it spiritually, be it in a natural perspective across the board. You sow and you don't take care of that. Very likely, you're not going to see a due season, meaning you're not going to see the harvest. Due season primarily means harvest, right? You're not going to see that. But when you sow and you take care of it, you oversee that. There again, from a spiritual perspective, a metaphorical perspective, you have a natural perspective, an agricultural perspective. When you do that in those fields and others even, when you do that, you oversee what you've sown. You take care of it. You're a good steward of the crop that you have been, you've been planting. What will happen is God, because he declares, and he cannot swear by another. Because there was no one greater than him. So he declares, while the earth remains, there will be seed time and there will be harvest. So God is simply saying, as long as the earth remains, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and there will be harvest, meaning there will be a due season. So there again, that's God speaking himself. So that's why I said that real strongly to begin with, is that. If there's not a due season invention in your life, one or two things, and many times if, if there's not, it's because we've done or haven't done our part. We've done something to circumvent the due season, or we haven't done something to see the due season occur. Because God promised it. And if God promised it, the Word of God declares He's not a man that He should lie. Neither the Son of Man, meaning He's not human, that He should repent, or meaning, of course, ask for forgiveness or change His mind. So when God has declared it, it shall be established. When he has spoken it, it will come to pass. When God also says the book of Isaiah, my word will not return to me void. So when God sends his word out, it will prosper, he says, in the thing that he sent it to prosper before it ever comes back to him. So when God releases his seed of life into your life, it begins to germinate. It gestates, and then it brings forth a harvest within your life that not only benefits you, but other people connected to you, and then returns back to God to give him glory. Why do you think Jesus said, herein is my Father glorified, that you bring forth much fruit? So that harvest, that harvest. So Paul says, listen, in due season, somebody say due season, has to happen. Let's say this, my due season has to happen. Look at somebody and say, your due season has to happen. Tell somebody on the other side, your due season, it has to happen. I'm waiting for the thunderous applause to die down because I just can't hear myself right now. Can't hear myself think. My grandma would say that. Say, kids, kids, be quiet. I can't even hear myself think right now. Did you ever hear that one? Oh, that's good. Do you still use it on your kids? Don't answer. But anyway, so in due season, we shall reap. We kind of covered it, so I need to keep moving. Here's the heart of the matter today. We shall reap if we faint not. This is King James Version purposely. I want to read from this and quote from this. We shall reap if we faint not. Now, the New King James Version, as we looked at last week, says lose heart. There again, that opens the door to really the root of the issue, and the issue is don't faint. Don't faint. Because in all actuality, you, th th this is a regression, a very negative regression. People first lose heart, and then they faint. The losing heart gets discouraged. What that means, there again, a heart that, that has, someone has lost heart, they have gotten discouraged. And if you stay discouraged, you will eventually faint. And the enemy knows this. As a matter of fact, he is the diabolical progenitor of causing God's people, even, and even those who, who are not Christians, if he can mess with people, to first and foremost, to cause them to lose heart, to get discouraged. And if he can keep them in that state of existence for especially the longer the better to the enemy. He knows eventually they're going to faint, meaning they're going to quit. Because no one, I don't care how strong you are, you can't stay discouraged forever. 
Can I help you with this? Here is one of the reasons why God is going to bless you this week. Here's one of the reasons why. Man, no amens even on that one. Oh, you're receiving that prophetic word. There. Here's one of the main reasons God is going to bless you this week, the weeks to come, the months to come, and throughout your life. Okay? Here's why. You ready to receive this and for this week, though? Here's why God is going to bless you this week. Is because, man, I, wish I need a drum roll almost for this. The re, here's why God is going to bless you this week is because he doesn't want you to be discouraged. Amen. He doesn't want you to stay discouraged. And in the past, if you recall, I have taught just on the diabolical uh, working of discouragement. The enemy knows if he can get you discouraged, it is a slippery slope for a child of God. Because no one, there again, I don't care how strong they are. I don't care how much word they know, how many decades they've lived for God and the great track record they have. When they start going through something and they face discouragement after discouragement after discouragement after discouragement, eventually they're going to faint. Maybe not for the rest of their life, but at least for a season. And that could very likely be the season that it could either put them over or cause them to go under for good. That's why we cannot, first and foremost, we cannot lose heart. We cannot get discouraged. When we are discouraged, we need to take care of that as soon as possible. I mean, it really, it's like, it's like go, to the, go to the spiritual emergency room. Get there, A-S-A-P. Take care of yourself. Get with some people who will speak life into you. They'll put you on an, a spiritual IV and the, 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 they'll get you taken care of, man. You, you, you need to stay encouraged because your encouragement is also linked to your faith. Your faith also actually resides in your encouragement. They all work together. I can tell, I've been doing this for a while, I can tell when people come in discouraged or encouraged. I can sense in the atmosphere long before. I don't even have to talk to anyone. All pastors are different, by all means, different approaches and all of that. Um, I, I tend, which, you know, I talk to you guys before service, and I know it makes your day. I know it brightens your day. I know, I know it was a highlight of your week. I know. I know. I know that, that, that when, I, when I say hi to you before service, you, 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 you feel the anointing just rush upon you. You sense angels just come down from the heavenlies and begin to just begin to swarm around you and, and just begin to put greater life in you. I understand that. I understand. So, but I don't like to engage in a lot of detailed conversation before service and there again it's not it's not that i treat people in a trite man i never treat anyone trite especially you guys by all means now some people who might have an attitude toward me when i'm checking out certain things and you know trying to pay for something it's like hey, hey does this bother you i got groceries yesterday hey say you probably wonder is he in the spirit or not i don't care i want to share this with you because this bothers me does this bother you like it bothers me? Yeah, just, just wait, wait, wait a minute, just, Lord. When, 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 you, when, when your, your groceries are going on that conveyor, and the person who's beep, beep, they make and comment everything you bought. No one else, thank you. That just bugs me. Does that, am I the, okay, let me just get back to this then. Holy Ghost said, okay, you want to be on your own? That's what it's like being on your own. How do you like that? Anyway. So anyway, bottom line, other than that, other than that, I never treat anyone in a trite manner. They're going to, especially people of God here. See, I just picked right up and just, we just left that bad. But anyway, so next time they do that, tell me if that doesn't bother you or not. Oh, you're getting a lot of these today, huh? What if I want to buy the whole store out? on blueberries. They are filled with poly polyphenols. They help to lower inflammation. They are good for you. Across the board, one of the best 
fruits you could eat. And they do not increase your glucose index. That's why you should eat more of them. They are a longevity fruit. Is that all right if I want to buy 10 cases of them? Do I need your permission or the manager's permission to buy a bunch of blueberries? Then after I said that, she said, oh, okay. No. I didn't say that. I didn't, but I wanted to. Anyway, where are we at? Let's go on. So, back to this. Let me help the people of God here. Because I, I can sense it in the atmosphere. I don't even have to talk to people. I can sense it. As a whole, I could sense 97 plus percent of you came in encouraged today. You could sense it in the atmosphere. You can sense it in praise and worship. I can sense it when I walk up here especially. You came in encouraged. That's the will of God for you. We should not, stay with me on this, we should not, first of all, live a life of continual discouragement. If we are, something's wrong. And another thing is, we should not come to the house of God discouraged. Hear me out. Let me quantify that. If you're discouraged, come to church. You know where I'm coming from, right? want to make this emphatically clear. If you're discouraged, that is definitely where you need to be. You don't need to be home playing video games. Get to the house of God, you'll get encouraged. Amen? So, but at the same time, we shouldn't come in with a long face and, 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 and just this real cloud of discouragement upon us. We should come in knowing that we're going to receive a word. We're going to enter to praise and worship. We're going to meet people who are like-minded and faith-minded, if you will. And we know that we could share maybe our level of discouragement. And they'll pray for us in the parking lot before service, during service, after service. You know, you know one of the reasons why I say this when I, when I say something will we'll take a little longer time and I'll say, you know, just, just go and bless someone. Maybe you might be led to pray for them. You might have a word of encouragement. You might have a prophetic word over someone to encourage and bless them. I do that. The Holy Spirit prompts me actually to do that because you never know. We've said it for decades. You never know what someone has been going through. So you, you understand where I'm coming from, right? But overall, we should not be people who live in a state of discouragement because we should always realize our due season is coming. And what predicates our due season many times is making sure we stay encouraged, meaning we stay faith-filled. Look at this real quick. Like, Let me get down to business here. That word faint in the Greek language, it simply means this. It means to enfeeble. It means a few other things too, but primarily, I, I, I just went right to the heart of the matter. It means to enfeeble. So when Paul says, if we faint not, due season is coming if you don't get discouraged and if you don't faint. So if you don't get discouraged, lose heart. And if you don't faint, meaning to be enfeebled, meaning if you don't empower your feebleness, you'll see the due season. Because all of us have a degree of feebleness about us. Some say, oh, I reject that. Well, you can go ahead and reject it all you want. But, this, but the Bible, what I just said, this is what the Bible is referring to. When it says that God knows that we are all but flesh. Meaning that we are not divine in complete nature. We, have, we, we do have the divine nature within us, but we are not completely, meaning we, we, we are not in our glorified state of being yet. Well, I want that to happen soon. Well, that means you got to die and go to heaven. But anyway, so, so just somebody say, hold off on that then. But anyway, uh, so, but we do have the nature of God within the nature of Christ by all means, by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but we are not consummate in his divine nature. That will not happen until we go into heaven for all eternity, correct? So that means there's still some flesh within us. There's, there's a lot of God within us but there's still some flesh within us, right? So that flesh, that's the one that gets weak. Jesus said, guard against Simony. I mean, come on. He had his closest with us, the inner circle of the inner circle of the inner circle. 
It wasn't the multitudes, it wasn't the 70, it wasn't the 12, it was the three. There are four classes. He was, he, he was down to the, the three. And he said, you couldn't even pray with me for one hour. The spirit is willing to do it, but what? See, there's the feebleness there. And we understand even the word infirmity, remember, which Jesus helps us with our infirmities. It's not only a physiological issue, meaning a sickness or disease. It's also a moral issue. And not just vacillating between you know, living right and living in sin. As a Christian, you know, just you know, not getting fully saved and fully strong. It doesn't just mean that. It also means where there is an area of weakness within you. We all have them. The enemy knows how to push our buttons. The enemy, anyone discover that but me? The enemy knows what buttons to push, right? He knows. Just for what it's worth, the Bible calls them familiar spirits. You got them hanging around you. Don't get scared. And I, didn't say, I didn't say you're demon-possessed. Don't leave the church. How can I go to a church? The pastor said I'm demon-possessed. I did not say that. The Bible makes it clear there are familiar spirits. They are in your territory, meaning where you abide in life. And they're always at a distance. They're keeping track of you. They are emissaries of Satan. They report back to him. And because, because Satan is not omniscient, and it, neither can it be omnipresent. So he has to have his minions do his bidding. And there again, they're referred to as familiar spirits. They know, they know your past. Matter of fact, they were the ones, they were the ones that were hanging all over you in your past. You were dragging them everywhere. You were dragging them to that former, all through that former lifestyle, to the bar, to this place, to that place, place we won't even mention, place that you need to say, God, could you erase that memory out of my mind completely? So you had those familiars. They were just hanging all over you. I don't know about you, but I met some people. I've seen hundreds of thousands of familiar spirits just hanging all over. I, I see them walking. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Just hanging all over them. Like a bunch of cockroaches just crawling all over them. Ah, oh, let's just get a little crass on this one because it's not a pleasant thing, you see. So anyway, when you got born again, those familiar spirits were broken off of you. They were shed off of you. By the efficacious blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. So therefore, is this all right, guys? We'll get, we'll, we'll get back on the faint knot here in just a minute. Don't faint. But anyway, those, those familiar spirits, they were all, all completely shattered and broken off of you. So now they, they cannot attach themselves to you anymore. They, 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 wherever you go, they can't go. Why? Because they see in the spirit realm, which is what they see first and foremost, they see the shed blood of Christ upon you. They see that you are completely, you have completely been covered by the blood of the Lamb. And now the word of your testimony causes you to be victorious, right? So they know that you are a child of God. You're an heir of God, joint heir of Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit dwells within you to lead you and guide you and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever things the Lord has spoken unto you. So within all of that, they, they stand back from a distance. But those familiar spirits sometimes, if you start going through a season of great discouragement, they start creeping up and start getting real, real close again. And then, of course, if it goes from that point and you start fainting, you start losing heart to the point now you have fainted, you're almost becoming so feeble that now actually, this is how feebleness works, is that feebleness feeds on itself. I mean, in all actuality, everything does. I mean, even, you know, from a physiological perspective, you, of course, you, you, know, you talk to scientists, they will tell you that, that, that everything feeds off of itself. I mean, your, your body, the, the cellular structure in your body, it feeds off itself. And what you feed, it, it will feed off of that, and, and it feeds off itself. And feed, it just is one, one long, complicated, complex, convoluted issue, not only, not just talking about from a biological perspective, but also life. Everything feeds off itself. Faith feeds off itself. That's why you need to keep feeding on faith, because it'll, it'll just produce more faith feebleness feeds off of itself. And the enemy knows if he can get you to quit, it's because you became so enfeeble, you started actually projecting 
feebleness upon your own self. You start believing a lie from the enemy and those familiar spirits who reminded you of your past and all your mistakes and all that. And then you start believing the lie and say, you know what, I, I guess it just wasn't meant for me. I guess I'm not smart enough. I guess I'm, 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 I'm not this, I'm not that, or whatever the case is. And we go through all that if we're not careful. And then now you have this compounded issue of enfeebling oneself. And Paul says, make sure that doesn't happen. Make sure that doesn't happen. Let me, let, me, let me help us with this a little bit more. It's used with the significance of being weak and weary. You were not created by God to be weak or weary. There are times when we reach, because it's different when you, when you understand your limitation. When you understand, see, my granddaughter even agree with that. When you, when, you reach, when you reach your limitation doesn't mean you're weak. Amen. It just means that your faith needs to be increased from that point. But that's not a sign of weakness. A sign of weakness is this. You've already accomplished something in a given area, generally speaking. You've accomplished something in a given area of your life. But now the feebleness and weakness have overcome you to the point you can't even do that because you think you can't anymore. And also you might think, what's the use? So this word when Paul says, listen, we cannot faint. We cannot get feeble. We can't get to the point that we are weak and weary. Let me give us some scriptures here, really important. God, God, God is really big on this issue about not being faint-hearted, or of course, not fainting, not quitting, not being weary. Go with me, if you would, real quick, like over to Deuteronomy. Let's look at a couple of scriptures and focus on this just for a few more minutes before we're out of here. Helping anyone yet? I want to make this clear. I don't sense, or neither did the Holy Spirit say, here, I, I want you to minister on this topic about not fainting because a lot of, a lot of people who attend CIC are weak and weary. That's not the issue. When he put this on me, in my spirit, and put the burden on me, if you will, to deliver this to you today, open up the door from last week, it's because of this. Your biggest, your biggest days, biggest days, biggest breakthroughs, healings, miracles, advancements, procurements in life are awaiting you. They are awaiting you. So in conjunction with that, they are awaiting this church. They're aw they're, they are awaiting you individually. They are awaiting you as couples. They are awaiting you as families. They are awaiting this local family of God. Amen? So because of that, we cannot give in to being faint. We cannot give in to being weak. We cannot give in to being weary. Weariness will circumvent your God-given destiny. Ask Elijah. I'm not throwing stones because I have to meet him one day through eternity. And it kind of sounds like a guy you don't want to get on his bad side. But anyway, it circumvented the destiny of Elijah. God, do you realize that God had to alter another destiny for Elijah? Elijah becomes weary. He became spiritually weary. I'm not casting stones. He comes off of the greatest miracles to that point in his life. He defeats all the prophets of Baal at one time with the aid of a few other righteous men of God. God, in a simple prayer, short prayer by Elijah, God brings down fire, consumes the sacrifice. Because remember, Elijah said, here's what we're going to do. He didn't even have the support of supposed God's people. That's why Elijah, he finally faced him. He said, are you guys kidding? And he said, how long are you going to halt between two opinions? Meaning, when are you going to make up your mind? When are you going to make the decision to serve God? I would put it this way. Pick a lane. And he went on to say, if God is God, then serve him. But if he's not, then you can serve Baal. And then he said this, he just really stepped out by faith. He said, the God that answers by fire. 
You ever said something and go, hmm, who said that? <laughs> Man, I've spoke things by faith to the people of God and also sometimes individually, sometimes to myself even. I said, oh, Lord, I hope you were in that because I was feeling you. And I believe that was you, so only you can fulfill what I just said. But anyway, and I, I never take that lightly, though, so no, no joke intended, but you've done that, right? You've spoken something, and then you realize, oh, it's not that you backtrack. It's like, oh, you're out there now. You are suspended in midair, and you hope you don't have to hang there real long. But, you know, see, that's the place. I mean, I mean true faith, true faith. You talk about jumps off. True faith doesn't stand on the edge. True faith goes ahead and just jumps off and realizes that by the time in midair God builds the suspension bridge underneath, that by the time you land, it will be there to support you and he will fulfill what you just spoke according to what he said through you. So Elijah said, okay, well, the God that answers by fire, he'll be the true God. And we're going to serve him, right? And people said, yeah, absolutely. So then, of course, you know the rest of the story. And then eventually he let the prophets of Baal go first. They did all their incantations. So what I love about Elijah, he's mocking them. So I know I have a little bit of spirit of Elijah. See, people don't like it. I say, well, you must not like Elijah then. So he's mocking them because, you know, Elijah said, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to... Let's, let's pile all this wood up, get the sacrifice up. God answered by fire, they're going to be God. He said, you guys go first. And so they start going through all their incantations and nothing working. They start cutting themselves, jumping around, dancing, doing all this kind of stuff almost all day. And during this whole time, Elijah, he's checking in on them and going, leaving and then come back. And he said, oh, God, your God hadn't answered yet, huh? At one point he says, oh, surely he must be on vacation. I read it's in the Bible. That's what literally means. Oh, he must be on vacation. You know, another time he mocks and says, oh, he must be asleep, right? Why don't you pray louder? Must, must, must not be able to hear you. I just love that, don't you? You really, you really said life of Christ? He was like that from time to time. See, today what the problem is in the church, especially, we want to be accepted by everyone. We want to be liked by people who hate us. We want to be liked by people who want to destroy us and destroy, destroy the, the church, what it stands for. They mock us. They mock the sanctity of life. They mock the establishment of a true marriage, of, 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 of the true institution, even of the church itself. That's so why you better be careful who you're voting for. I'm not telling you who to vote for. I'm just saying you better be careful who you vote for. Oh, how I'd like to. I need to get me a radio station so I can say all that stuff. I want to say. But anyway, oh, so Elijah, you know, he's just messing with him. And finally, he said, you guys done? They wore themselves out. Simple, short prayer. Fire comes down. You know the rest of the story. Great victory. Greatest victory in his life. Jezebel tells me she's going to kill him. He takes off running. Are you kidding? Are you kidding? The biggest miracle in your life? Other phenomenal miracles before that? Raising the dead even? Common occurrence? You got all this stuff going on, and you're afraid of one woman with a spirit of witchcraft? Are you kidding? You know the rest of the story. He runs, he flees, and middle of the desert, gets under a tree, tells the rattlesnakes to move out. This is mine now. And he's sitting there, and he starts saying, you know, hadn't eaten, hadn't drank anything. And he starts saying, would to God I was never born. Would to God I never had this call upon my life. Would to God God never called me into the ministry. Goes to sleep, he wakes up, there's food for him. Let me help you this real quick like, just real quick like. This is how you will get weary and this is how you'll, you'll faint if you're not careful. You need to take care of your spirit, soul, and body. If you don't, you will faint. Let's just look at this. Because, look, back to Elijah. 
An angel had prepared him some food to eat, some water to drink. See how practical God is? Can I help you with this? You, you need to keep your strength up. My grandma used to always say that. Mama used to always say it. You got to keep your strength up. You got to eat. Didn't matter what you were going through, eating was the cure. <laughs> just, oh, you're sick? We need to eat something. See, they, they, you know, they, didn't, they didn't hold that adage, you know, do you starve a cold, feed a fever? No, they just feed it all. You got a fever, we're going to feed you. You got a cold, we're going to feed you. You got appendicitis, we're going to feed you, then we'll take you to the doctor. But anyway, I speak that actually, that actually happened to me. I was sick for several days, and, you know, I was a young teenager. I'm going, you know, never complained, and, you know, didn't, didn't do any good then, still didn't do any good now. But anyway, I said, you know, I don't feel good. Okay, so we just, we just keep feeding you. And a few days went on, I got a little sicker, you know, and so then my grandma got into it, and she said, okay, she said, oh, I know you love chicken and dumplings. Made a big pot of chicken and dumplings. All yours. So I ate chicken and dumplings. A couple days later, I'm even sicker. I'm thinking, oh, man, I'm hurt. I, ain't, I ain't hurting here. And walking all bent over and, you know, all this. And, and finally, finally, uh, one of the neighbors said, you know, you might want to take him in, see the doctor. Now, see, back then, you only went to the doctor after you died. <laughs> then, you then we take you to the doctor. See what he can do. <laughs> Ain't much exaggeration on that, folks. But anyway, all this stuff now. Man, I've been meddling most of everyone's life already today, so let me just keep meddling. I mean, today, kids get a cold. Take them to the doctor. What? They get over it. Don't know what's wrong with little Johnny. He's probably got some gas. Let him pass it. He'll be fine. Don't you take him to the emergency room. Someone in there could be in there with life and death. Taking kids there. Emergency. You ever gone to an emergency room where you really had an emergency? You got people in there reading magazines with their feet kicked up. Everything's fine. Watching Jerry Springer. You know why they're there in the middle of summertime? They're getting free AC. That's why they're there. Anyway, how'd I get off on that? Why do I do this? Why? Unbelievable. Anyway, where are we at? Do what, son? Help me out, son. Spirit, soul, body. Spirit, soul, body. But really, you've got to take care of yourself. If you, don't, if, if you don't eat right and if you don't eat a well-balanced meal, it'll affect your spirit. Oh, how does that occur? Because they're all connected. Can I help you with this? Many times what you think is the enemy attacking you, it's a physiological issue. If your hormones are down, and I'm not trying to be funny or facetious, whatsoever. If your hormones are down in basement levels, male or female, that's not the devil attacking you. It's a physiological issue that you need to get it balanced and calibrated right. Your, your adrenal glands could be just be completely overtaxed. Some of that can be helped with diet, some not. Your, your thyroid, you may, you may have hypothyroidism. And if you do, you're going you're gonna to have natural depression. You're going to feel like the world's caving in on you. It's not the devil. It's a physiological issue. You need to get it checked, get it right. There again, you need to find out. First of all, start with your diet. You can't live on sugar highs and lows. You know, when, when you got the sugar rush, oh, God's for me. Then you got the sugar, you got. <laughs> God's for me, and I can take on the world. You know, then, then you got, the, you, then you got the, the, the sugar freight train that hits you. And then, of course, you think the world's, the world's against you and the devil is, is just is going to kill you today. So, you know, you can't live like that from a physiological perspective. One of the reasons why Elijah, not the only, but one of the reasons why Elijah said, would to God I was there, born, was because he hadn't eaten in several days. It was his physiological frame that affected his spiritual frame, which affected his emotional slash mental frame, hence what's on your mind. That's why I tied all those together, or I endeavored to a few months ago when we looked at that topic. 
There, there are scriptures replete throughout the Bible about taking care of your body, taking care of your soul, taking care of your spirit. And they all work together. By all means, they all work together. And there again, sometimes Christians think that they're again, the devil's after him, or oh, I'm fighting depression, all that. No, sometimes it's a physiological issue. You just need to go get it checked out. I don't say that lightly whatsoever, because I've been there. I have been through that. It's like, man, this is me. What's going on? Then it had just a series, a bunch of things, you know, a bunch of tests and all this and all that. And they, found, they didn't find out things wrong with me. They just found out, you know what? Here are a few things that your body is fighting. I said, have you, are, are, are you under stress at all? What stress? I rebuke stress in Jesus' name. Anyway. Oh, Lord. Stay with me. Still, you still love me? Stay with me here. Stay with me. Stay with me. I'm not feeling as much love as I did earlier. Look at this. Isaiah chapter, Isaiah chapter 40. i got to close with it. you gotta, you got to see this. You gotta, some of you should know at least some of this. Definitely the last verse we're going to look at. But if you could memorize the previous few verses, oh, it will give you so much help and strength all the days of your life. When I was a kid, even a teenager, even a young man, I, I, I would still hear this song. We sang it even as a chorus, powerful, straight from the Word of God. But look at this, talking about that issue about don't faint. Tell somebody, don't faint, don't faint, don't faint. Because your miracle, your breakthrough, your healing, your deliverance, your, your advancement predicates upon you fainting or not fainting. Look at this, Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28. Hast thou not known, hast thou not heard that the everlasting God, you know we sing that song, you are the everlasting God. Amen. The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. I'm serious. Those three statements of God, everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth. I'm serious. I need four weeks alone per statement, per title of who God is. Everlasting God, the Lord, and the creators of the ends of the earth. Phenomenal, phenomenal depth right there. Fainteth not. The everlasting God doesn't faint. The Lord, Adonai, he does not faint. The creator of the ends of the earth, the creator and the sustainer, it actually means all in one, he doesn't faint. For what it's worth, I know you know this, but it definitely bears inserting this right here. God created you, and he has sustained you up to this point in your life. And if God does not faint... He cannot faint. Do you think that you are going to faint now? Do you think God is going to allow you to faint and not receive the due season that he's been working on for decades of your life? God will make sure you don't faint. The God that we serve, he fainteth not, neither is weary. And you notice there, it's a question mark because it is still a question. Don't you realize this? Don't you realize that the everlasting God, the Lord, the creators of the earth, of the ends of the earth even, I mean in all things, past, present, and of course into, into eternity. Don't you realize that he never faints and he is never weary? So that our strength comes from him. Amen, church. There is no searching of his understanding, meaning you cannot, you cannot, you cannot tap out the fathomless depth of who God is. He giveth power to the faint. He gives power to the faint. And those who have no might, he increases their strength. Even the youth shall faint, meaning the young people, they shall faint and be weary. And the young men, strength of their life, they're going to even utterly fall. But they that wait upon the Lord. Oh, real quick, like I need to back up. They that wait, for what it's worth, the Hebrew language, that word there, it's a verb. Remember? First grade? Well, I think now they teach it in senior year in high school, but... Remember now, remember now, what's wrong with me today? I'm trying to, I'm being serious. A noun is a person, place, or thing, right? In a verb, I mean, you, you learn this in day one. And a verb, what? It denotes 
In the Hebrew language, this is a verb. Wait. See, it's, you're not passively sitting by. It means you are searching with great expectation. You are moving by and with faith. So you are, there's some action going on here. So those who wait upon the Lord, those who are moving forward, doing their best to move forward, even though sometimes they do get a little, a little discouraged, maybe even greatly discouraged from time to time, but at least we're still moving forward. Like the old adage, you know, really, it, it, if, it, if, you, if you fail and if you fall, at least fall moving forward. At least fall moving forward because at least when you pick yourself up, you're that farther ahead. So those, from time to time, we do get discouraged. I understand, I do, I have, and I probably will in the future. From time to time, the enemy is going to try to make sure of that. Not a lack of confession, it's, just called, it's called life. It's called life, and as long as we are in this world, in this body, we're going to deal with stuff like that. But there again, those who wait, those who are actively, it means it's actively serving the Lord. And I know I'm talking to some people who actively serve God. Amen. You are active pursuers and purveyors of God. That's who you are. Every day of your life, not just on Sunday, every day of your life, you are actively pursuing God. Amen. Am I saying that we have reached this sinless perfectionism? I'm not saying that at all. From time to time, we mess up. From time to time, we make mistakes. From time to time, we may even fall back into sin, but we at least ask God to forgive us. He forgives us, comes from all unrighteous, and we just keep going, right? What I'm saying is this, is that we are pursuing God. We are pursuing what He's called us to do. We are endeavoring to fulfill our God-given purpose, live out our God-given destiny, and see our God-given dreams come to pass. You're doing it every single day of your life from time to time. Yes, you do get discouraged. From time to time, you may feel like you're about to faint and lose heart all combined. But I will tell you something. God, as long as you continue to serve God, as long as you continue to serve God actively, not passively, if you'll just keep serving God, keep worshiping God, keep praising God, keep attending the house of God, keep connected to the people of God, keep coming every time the doors are open, tithe when you, when you pay, give an offering, bless people, pray for people, whatever it takes, just keep actively serving God. I will guarantee you this from the word of God. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. For more information about our teaching resources, visit our website at ciclive.com.